For heavy vehicle, it's six different stations, so kind of six different modules, and they're all like a different part of a vehicle. So you do like hydraulics, gearboxes, brakes, engines, engine measuring, electrical, and each module is a breakdown situation. You go to a machine, you know it's the hydraulic station and it's got a fault in the hydraulic system. So then you go and fix it and a judge is watching you as you're fixing it and asking you questions along the way, like why are you doing that? Also the first female to ever compete in the heavy vehicle national competition for world skills so I'm so excited because now there's been a girl every year after me. In 2018 there was a girl competing and then I was the first female judge that year so I'm chief judge now of the nationals. Yeah so I did win the nationals. <laughs> Welcome to the Beers with a Minor podcast. My name is Mad Mumsy and I've been driving the huge dump trucks in Australian open cup mines for over 10 years now. I wish I had a dollar for everyone who said to me, how does a little thing like you drive those big trucks? Oh, you must be rich. How do I get a job doing that? My mining friends are asked these questions all the time too. This is what started the Mad Mumsy journey to share stories and tips from living a mining lifestyle and to let others know what it's really like. Tune in each episode as I sit down for a relaxed chat usually over a few beers with a fellow miner. Women and blokes with various experience, roles and opinions share their lessons and stories with you. Not everyone is cut out to be a miner, but why not? What does it take to thrive and survive in this industry? Now, let's dig in. Get it? Dig? Mining? I cracked me up. In this happy hour episode, we are hanging out with Louise Azapardi, a diesel fitter and now an international judge of diesel fitting competitions. I heard about Louise from Joe Sainsbury, our lovely coal train driver, when I was on her Kick-Ass Radio podcast recently. I knew I had to get Louise on the podcast for you and for me, because I want to find out more. How did this happen? All right, let's dig in. Get it? Dig? Mining? Ha ha ha, crack me up. Welcome to the podcast, Louise. Hey, thanks for having me. That's okay. I'm really excited to have you on and to hear your story. So um, we'll get straight into it, shall we? <laughs> We've had a bit yes. of a pre-chat, so we're all good. But So yeah, now we <laughs> want to let you in on the story too. Uh, can you start off, Louise, with sharing how you got into mining? I so I kind of I started off in road transport so when I was 15 I applied for I didn't like school at all um so I was like out of there as soon as I can so um when I was 15 I completed year 10 and I started a heavy vehicle road transport apprenticeship um, mechanic apprenticeship at Cummins in my so my local Cummins branch and I completed my apprenticeship there so I finished my apprenticeship when I was 19 I was qualified oh wow um yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the time. So when I was when I was a fourth year apprentice, I actually did a second course um, for advanced diagnostics. So I got my cert for in advanced diagnostic. And then the year after that, I did auto electrical and I also did mobile plant mechanics. So I, I crammed a few in there while I was like on a roll. <laughs> I was just like, I've got the momentum. The courses are available. They, there was a funding thing, so it was cheap. And I was like, let's just keep going. <laughs> Yeah, that's the go. Um, While it's there, don't waste a good up, right? 
That's it. That's it. So I ended up taking really a lot of advantage of the mobile plant qualification and I found my way into the mobile plant world um, and the mining world um, through West Track. So throughout my local Caterpillar dealer, I started to think like, okay, there's something more for me than just being on the tools. Like I wanted that next thing. And I really, really loved training apprentices. And I had done some of the SALT workshops as an um, instructor, so teaching basic tools. And I was like, I think this is a path that I want to go on. Um, so I ended up starting to look around for training and assessor roles. And I got in with West Track um, 2019. Yeah, 2019. So I was there for two years. Um, yeah, teaching mobile plants. So the, all my students were like working on mining equipment. Some of them were on site. Um, and stuff. So that's how I kind of went from like the transport industry into mining. Um, and now I'm still in the mining. So I've left West Track now and now I do solely the trade upgrade. Um, so there's the mine industry 4.0. I think, I don't know, I think it's just New South Wales, but they, all the mechanics on site need to be a certain qualification or above. And because a lot of in the mining boom, a lot of light vehicle mechanics and boilermakers transitioned over to being plant mechanics. So now I've got a contract doing their trade upgrade, um, which gives me the flexibility to then work on my life coaching business. So I'm also a tradesman empowerment coach as well. Oh, I knew there'd be something else. That's so <laughs> wow. That is so. Can I? I do have um, a couple of things, or well, one thing to go back to. What is a salt workshop? Is that an uh, so, acronym, SALT? Yeah, yeah, so SALT is an acronym for supporting and linking tradeswomen. They oh. are, um, yeah, a well, they're a non-for-profit that run basic tool workshops, um, mainly at schools for high school girls. Oh. Um, they've got a trailer. I think they've got two trailers now, and they go around to different schools, set up workshops, do like a day workshop with the girls. The um, trainers are all like different tradies who tell their story, and it's very like it's, really personal you get to know like everyone you're teaching and like what they were like the students and you get to tell them a bit about you when they tell you a bit about them and it's really quite it's quite an experience oh wow that that sounds really good I'd love to get into something like that um up here because you're in New South Wales I'm Queensland in Australia yeah. for those that don't know so <laughs> still in the coal industry you were in coal yeah um or... well it's just kind of mining gear in general that you don't care. <laughs> you don't care what it digs no. or <laughs> what it hauls. No. Yeah. As yeah. long as it moves around and it does a job somewhere <laughs> on some site, <laughs> we fix it. <laughs> oh wow! So, what were your biggest challenges when you first started off? Because at fifteen, as a girl, you <laughs> yeah. know, who hated school, <laughs> I'm going to go and be an apprentice, um, and in a workshop. <laughs> Full of blokes, I'm sure. Were there many women there? There's a couple of questions there in one, there. <laughs> actually. Yeah, so there was one. Um, I was really lucky. There was one girl there. That, so when I started as first year, she was a second year. Um, but our workshop, there was like 40 of us in the workshop and they're divided into separate teams. And we never managed to be on the same team, me and her. So I think in the whole four and a half years we worked together, I think we did one job together. Um, but we always like used to catch up at like Smoko and before and after work and stuff. Um, but yeah, through that time, like we never actually really worked together that much, but I think she did break the ice, a lot of things. So when she first started, there was no female toilet in the workshop. So I think about six months in, they had put one in. So when I, like, I didn't have that barrier because she had already broken that barrier for me, um, or for us. 
And, um, yeah, but I think just mainly being 15, like whether <laughs> I was male or female, that that was – I like when you're 15, you're in high school, the biggest thing you want to do is fit in. And I think that was like my personal biggest downfall because I started to change myself to fit in with what – I now know it was a pretty toxic masculinity kind of themed workshop. <laughs> Become one of the boys. So, yeah. And it was just like, you know, getting caught up in trying to get into the cool group and, you know, just like, you know, pushing my values aside to try and fit in. The way, the way that I spoke really changed and there was a few things that I did that like to fit in that I should not have done and I did get like I went through an ethics case which wasn't just one-sided it was there was two sides to it because I had done something stupid to try and fit in and then it just blew up like it was like four years later so it was a really long kind of thing that was creeping in the background where this event happened in my first year and then someone was bullying me about it in my fourth year and then it all come up and it was And I just, I think from that, having that in the back of my mind, which wasn't something that was common knowledge to a lot of people, it really played on my mental health, always having that in the background, being like really beating myself up for it because I'm like, if you were actually good at your job, you wouldn't have done that. If you were, you know, if you actually really cared, you wouldn't have done that. And it was just like this narrative that I was telling myself for so long that, you know, on the outside, I seemed fine. But on the inside, I was just beating myself up so much for it. Like, as I realised, you know what, yeah, that was silly. And then I was like, then I was telling myself that narrative and now I'm just like, you know what, everyone makes mistakes. If I was like 15 in any other situation, like that would just be like 15-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. 15-year-olds at school, you know, drama, drama, teenagers and, and all that. So that's a long time to have to always have that in the background and playing on you, you, and that would have had a huge part in helping to mould who you are as a person. And like you said, in that was about um, fitting in with the guys and speaking a certain way, I'm assuming swearing and, you know, just being like that, like, (laughs) fuck yeah, man. I remember saying that to my nana. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, it just comes so naturally after a while. It's like a joining word, you know. Oh, and by the way, you're allowed to swear on this podcast because, and that's Mad Mumsy's number one tip is if you can't handle swearing, don't even think about going in the mines because they can make everyone pull back and be, you know, let's be uh, nice humans to each other. But swearing has changed. Yeah. yeah. There's, I think there's definitely a difference between swearing as like a common word and directing it at someone. Yes. So, totally. like, if you're talking to a machine and you're like, I don't know, for me, cunt runs off the off my tongue as well. <gasps> <laughs> but, like, even just calling, yeah, calling a piece of equipment, like swearing at a piece of equipment is different to swearing at a person and trying to, like, hurt their soul. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. Well, and my listeners know I've told this story quite a few times, but when I first started backing in under the shovel, and that was down in New South Wales, backing in under the shovel when they were allowed to swear over the two-way and be, like, like really nasty to you back then. They're not allowed to do that anymore because it's recorded now. It never used to be recorded. And they'd yell out, get your fucking ass around. 
and I'd be sitting in my truck going, oh, which way? You know, I didn't know what I'd done wrong and I'm crying in my truck. And But now they're not, you're just not allowed to talk like that, not over the two-way. They could still, you know, <laughs> round you up behind the crew button, have a few words. But, yeah, you're right, it's about... Swearing in general as opposed to using it in a derogatory way towards someone or about someone or, yeah, because like you, yeah. you, me, 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 you know, shaking your finger and all of that at someone with all of those words flowing, it's, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not nice. So it's something you really have to be aware of and curtail when you go to your Nana's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. So, so I had an experience once where the dust on the top of my toolbox, someone wrote cunt in it, like oh. in the dust on top of my toolbox. And I remember like I think it was only a few months after I started and I told my supervisor and so there were three teams in the truck shop and one of the supervisors was like, oh, just dust it off, like don't even worry about it. And then one of the other guys was like, no, like they're not going to find, like they're probably not going to find the person who did that, but she shouldn't have to be treated that way. It should at least like you know be reported so then people know that it's not okay and just having that like difference between the two supervisors like one just like dust it off pretend it never happened the other one's like no it happened we know that we're probably not going to find the person who did it but it's not okay either way like yeah we have to let the crew know that this is unacceptable Mm -hmm. we're not you know don't do it again and and if you you did it or if you get caught doing it there'll be consequences and it's good too that that was a man starting to stand up for a woman, which is a lot of things that I've seen change since I first started where there are blokes that will come on and say, you know, stand up and say, come, mate, no need to talk like that, you know, or whatever. Whereas before it was just open slather and the guys weren't even backing you, you know, but now there's a lot more support out there because there's a lot more win- women too, I guess. <laughs> That's it. And I think a lot of it comes, yeah, that helps. And Mm. a lot of it comes down to peer pressure. Like even back then, a lot of the good guys felt pressured to just go along with it because they didn't want to be excluded. Whereas now I think it's, you know, there's a group, like if you're standing up for a woman, it's not like you'll be excluded from a whole group. You'll be included into the group that supports women. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And is that a big part of, um, why you're so passionate at training other people who are coming in to the industry. Is that the sort of uh, life stuff that you share with them? The experiences and crew culture is such a huge thing, isn't it? It's not just Mm. how to fix a truck or uh, whatever the machines are. There's so much more to it than that, isn't there? And some can handle it and some can't, at least if they – you know, this is why I do what I do because if they can go in with their eyes open a little bit and have a bit of an insight of what it can really be like out there and, you know, can you hack it? And if you're in that situation, what would you do if someone wrote the C word on your toolbox? You know, I'd go to the toilet and bowl my eyes out. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It. Someone that's else would like... go around, right, <laughs> who is it? I'm going to smash that bastard. But, you know, like totally different realms of perspection you know yeah Mm. I think like a lot of it like even just thinking it as like you're fixing a machine and you as you're working you get your tools to fix the machine right so then if you're in a social situation and something happens to you like you have a fault in the social situation that's like yeah an insult or whatever 
there's different tools that you can use in that mm. instance as well. And I think like a lot of people don't know where to find those tools or they might not be in a language um, like, you know, in a slang that they understand using terms that they understand. And I think I, I originally got into training assessment for a few reasons. One, because I, I wanted something more than just being on the tools. And two, it was a, for me in my mind, it was a really high contact position where a lot of men would come past and see me as a woman in the industry that knew a lot. And as they come past me and they would spend a few days training with me, they'd go back out into the world, you know, having that thing about women. But now it's not, now I've lost it. Now it's not just that. It's more like using, because I was so intrigued into in professional development, it's something that I want to kind of like translate down, like not down, like to the, <laughs> the people and the tools like a lot of the language that those HR professionals and professional development people use doesn't really kind of sift through the language that people on the tools use and I really saw a big gap there I was like there's all these amazing resources but unless you're really keen to use them you're not going to understand them. they're not something that you can quickly look at for someone who's been spinning spanners all their life and the people who spin spanners in my mind are the most important because they're the ones that make the money. They're the ones that keep everything going. Well, the here we go. Here <laughs> we go. The mechanics keep the mine running. The drillers think they run the show. Fucking the truckies. If there's no truckies, there's no dirt moving. The diggers is that yeah, sorry. It's an old it's an old story, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's everyone against everyone. It's like fitters versus electricians. Yeah. Bloody operators. Bloody operators breaking everything. And we're like, well, if you had to fix the truck in the first place, you know, and the brakes didn't fail. <laughs> originally yeah. oh my but God. all of that like you know that kind of it's not even just like people it's like white collar to blue collar yes more that leadership language. and management down down it, it feels like it's down doesn't it because when you're yeah. the one sitting at the crib at the in the meeting room pre-start and then and you've got the leaders to sit on a certain you're only allowed to sit on a certain color chair because you've got dirty overalls and god forbid oh. if the office people sit on those chairs Wow. That's a thing some places, yeah. Well, it would be. Well, I know in camps they have in the laundry the dirty washing machines. Washing <laughs> machines for the dirty clothes <laughs> and then the ones for, what, the clean clothes? But it's, like, meant to be the fitter's clothes and, oh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did you deal with uh, – that side of it, the dirty side, the because I look at fitters when I'm, you know, waiting for my truck to get fixed <laughs> and think, why would you want to do this? They're crawling down, they're coming out black, it's 40 degrees, they've got coal all over them and they, like, why? We don't, we don't think of that. We think of a truck blowing smoke before we get to it and a truck running smoothly when we leave. We think of an operator stuck in a pit to an operator moving about doing their job. We we think of cattle being carted. We think of houses being built. We think of holes being dug. Like we with the dirt and all that kind of stuff. You have a shower. That, that's totally fine. Like, but does it <laughs> come off? Soap. <laughs> <laughs> it does. I think that's the funny thing. Everyone used to be like, "Oh, you're so clean," and I'm like, "Yeah, I have a shower with soap." I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> the real miner, he's underground, right? So he's the real miner because 
you know, you're not mining unless you work underground in their eyes, which is another one of those, you know, class yeah, it's, distinctions. You're, you're in the dirt. Yeah, yeah, they're actually only only uh, real miners go underground, you know. Anyway, I I said to him, what about the eyeliner? You know, when they come out from the coal and especially underground, they've got the black eyelids. Like we spend, or I, you know, I don't wear much makeup, but back in the day when I used to, I, you know, the black eyeliner, pencil. And he said, they're just the ones who don't wash themselves properly. <laughs> if you scrub it off, it comes off. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to scrub my eyes. I've got really sensitive eyes, so that just makes my eyes water even thinking about there. it. Mm. So it's just like if you've got dry skin, dry skin's going to absorb anything because it's looking for moisture anywhere. So if you look after your skin and it's not trying to absorb any moisture that gets on it, then it comes off quite easily. Like I started to get dermatitis on my arms and where the dermatitis was, the oil would just stick and then everywhere else would be clean because that skin was damaged. Oh, wow. So that's a good tip for the guys to start looking after their skin if they if they want all that grime to come off. And what about... In like the stained elbows because your elbow is always dry. Yeah. So that oh, oil yeah. would just stay in there. <laughs> <laughs> and and a lot of the guys' hands too because they have just cracked dry hands. They don't put moisturiser on at night when they're watching TV or whatever. Oh, Aussie man hands, I think it's called. It's like a, a moisturiser for tradies for their hands. Like it's aimed at like it's, it's a little tub and I've seen it everywhere. It's Yeah, it's called Aussie man hands and it's a moisturiser made for tradies' hands. <laughs> Which is Probably just the bloody normal moisturiser, but it's branding and marketing, and I love it because that's my world. That that's gold, isn't it? And it, and they're like, oh, that's okay to use this one because it's for men. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, that's classic. Uh, so, what about your actual clothes, the your uniforms? That do they just only last for a while and then they have to go? They yeah, you can't. So, get, yeah. So my first four and a half years. So why was that coming? They, like, we had put overalls on. They were Cummins overalls. You take them off at the end of the day, leave them there. What colour um, were you? What colour were those overalls? They were high-vis. What so colour? they were navy and orange. Navy and orange, are Because there's lots of variations. I've seen yeah. the ones that are all orange. I'm like, oh, I could not mm. wear that every day. Like, fuck <laughs> Anyway, sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> I needed to know the colour. <laughs> yeah. um, some people have a yellow tradie versus orange tradie thing as well. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and but that would be different sites and different contractors, and yeah, yellow would be site. Mm. Yeah, yeah, on, that's um, right. The site, like some of it is like contractors, employers, visitors. Like for me, I actually have both now. I have orange and I have yellow, just because it doesn't really mean anything to me anymore. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, that's not too bad. But, yeah, going yeah. back to my so how do yeah how do you get the <laughs> get it out? So um. When I was still living at my mum's, I moved to a different job where I had to wash my own clothes and my mum actually oh. got a washing machine for me, like, because that was the dirty washing machine. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and and I usually get to my drawer. My mum put, like, a bag of fabric softener in my work clothes drawer so then the smell would just, like, get rid of the smell as well. And I was always like, mum, why did you put this in here? And she's like, because they stink even after you wash them. Yeah, like <laughs> um, your hair. But, yeah, that's it. That and hydraulic also, oil smell, low. Oh, oh, that's bad. Yeah, My mum's gear like, oil is really bad. Mm. 
But then it would always be like, I'd be like getting dressed. And at the end of the week, I'd be like, where's that shirt? And mum would be like, oh, it really, it was really bad. So I threw it out. I'm like, you can't just throw out my clothes without telling me. So I need to buy new ones. She's like, it was just too bad. I just threw it out. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, yeah you, I needed that to do the lawn mowing and the gardening or go mm. fishing in, which is one of my questions my later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was my, yeah, I had, I had my good clothes for when it rains and I know I'm just going to be sitting in the crib hut all night. <laughs> Might get a bit of mud on the bottom and your boots dirty, going from the car to the bus to the crib hut. <laughs> yeah, back when we used to have wet seasons, right? We haven't had much up here lately. Yeah, yes. who knows what the seasons are anymore. Oh, it yeah. It feels like it's summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's... Um, so Let's get on to the going for this competition, unless there's anything else that you want to share at this point before you got to that uh, I point. Think, I think that that's, that's most of it. The competition overlaps a lot. Oh, um, right. Okay. Well, hang yeah. on a minute. I'm just going to do my favourite sound in the world and I'm going to uh, open a beer. Ready? Because it's can. That's why I drink cans, because of the sound. <laughs> Oh, look at this. Why not? Yes, and I didn't ask you my first question, did I? We just got yeah. straight into it. I've done that before. I'm just like, blah, blah, blah. So what is your favourite beverage, Louise? Uh, it so, might be beer, wine, spirit, perhaps even a cup of tea. And what is the best time for you to enjoy it? I love a Malibu and Coke with my oh. pub meal. It's just like it, it's got a little it's, – it's different, but it's not too strong. It's still sweet like I like it. And I can have it comfortably with my meal, oh, <laughs> my pub food. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. And with ice, glass full of ice or a bit of ice. No, I'm not. I'm not really an ice person. Yeah. I'm like, don't water down my drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And oh, I've had so many conversations on here about ice. <laughs> do we have ice or don't we? And do we let them take the glass with the ice? That still might have, that ice. Scot- yeah, <laughs> might have a bit of scotch in it. I'm gonna, we'll just use the same old ice. Oh my God, it's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, so tell me about the overlapping story of how we ended up in the bloody competition. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. Now for a word from our sponsor, Julia Hartman and the Bantax Accounting Group. If you head to bantax.com.au forward slash minors, that's B-A-N-T-A-C-S, you can download a free booklet all just for us minors. And there's also a spreadsheet in there that helps you check off what tools you have for your trade, like your isolation lock, work boots, seven shirts, all of these sorts of things. And you can weigh them up and it'll tell you if you qualify weight-wise to claim your trips out to work. I strongly urge you to head to bantax.com.au forward slash minors and tell them Mad Mumsy sent you. Oh, okay, so competition. Yes. Uh, it's, it's, it keeps getting longer, so then I keep, like, summarising it. Um, no need to summarise with me, mate. <laughs> Just roll it on out. <laughs> so it all started off. So we, we talked a little bit about how the ethics case kind of blew up like in my fourth year. Yes. So while all that was going on, um, my mentor put me forward to compete in the world skills competition. So I had heard about it before, but it, pretty much what it is is a tradie competition running at a regional, national and international level. So the regions are mostly like different tastes run a competition and then they go to national and then 
gold medal winner plus funded goes to international. Um, so in the midst of my life, pretty much at that point, I was going through the ethics case. I just brought a house and my partner had dumped me. So my ex. <sighs> and I was like, and then I was like, put forward for this competition. And in my mind, I was like, okay, this is not on site. This is something new that I can add to my life. Like, let's just go and pretend none of that stuff's happening. There's all new people, whole new thing. So I kind of used it as that, like a, an escape. So I went, I had about a week's notice before the regional comp. Um, this was in 2015. And I was doing the certificate for in advanced diagnostics at the time. So I was kind of like, you know, tapped my teacher on the shoulder. I was like, I want to do some revision on all my other bits quickly, just one night. So we did some bit of practice. Um, and then I went to the competition and my goal was to not come last. I was like, I feel like I've won if I don't come last. <laughs> um, I ended up coming, I ended up coming second. Um, which was really cool. And I was like, so I was like, hell yeah, this is amazing. Go go. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, so first place automatically goes to the national competition. So second place, like I kind of missed out in that sense. But because not many um, TAFEs had run a heavy vehicle competition, there was like spots available in the national. So they were like, well, we'll see if we can get you a spot in the nationals. Um, so a few months later, I found out that I had a spot in the nationals. And my, my mentality changed a little bit about, you know, first I went in, like, trying not to come last. And then I was like, I'm not coming second again. <laughs> so um, so that, does that, that mean was... your goal was to win? Yes. Yay! <laughs> That's a big change, isn't it? Because you would have – did you go in with imposter syndrome sort of feelings I just at all? Really or? The imposter syndrome actually probably showed up more going into internationals because I didn't have much time to think yeah. about it going into the regionals and I had, like, I had so much going on in my life that I was kind of like just click the switch kind of thing. Yeah. Going into nationals, I was really kind of playful towards it. I was like that mm. kind of that bit of cocky attitude being like, let's see what we can do. Kind yeah, of girl. Thing. <laughs> um, which, sir, like I feel like in that lead up to the national competition, that's the most knowledge I've ever held in the front of my brain about vehicles like ever. Like that, that four or five months, I just absorbed so much and so much information was just ready to go. Like some of the questions I was kind of like, now that I look back on it, I'm like, how did I even do that? Like, I can't even remember how to do that now. <laughs> like I was just at this, like this kind of peak of like my brain just functioning. I was just in such a mindset like that. So what does so, it in, uh, I can hear my listeners going, so what, what does it involve? So is it like judges asking, like a panel of judges hitting you with questions do you go out and actually have to fix something or yeah? yeah so how does it actually what, work? Yeah. So for heavy vehicle, it's six different stations. So kind of six different modules and they're all like a different part of a vehicle. So you do like hydraulics, gearboxes, brakes, um, engines, engine measuring, electrical, like all different sections. And each module is kind of like a breakdown situation. So it's like you go to a machine, you know it's the hydraulic station and it's got a fault in the hydraulic system. So then you go and fix it and a judge is watching you as you're fixing it and asking you questions along the way, like why are you doing that? Keeping an eye on you and marking you as you go. Um, so it's, yeah, that pretty much six times over. So at the, at the regionals, it's about 45 minutes or an hour each module. And then at the nationals, it's 40, it's um, 
two and a half hours, and then at international level, it's three hours per module. Per so then oh there's just like God. the faults. So was yeah. that run over a couple of days? Yeah, you'd so have nationals to be. is a three-day event. Yeah, yeah, you'd fry your brain for sure. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy. And I was also the first female to ever compete in the heavy vehicle national um, competition for world skills. So I'm so excited because now there's been a girl every year after me. Oh, so you're I'm a pioneer just... girl. Oh my god, what year was I that? I just tell everyone. Yeah, so, so I... would I. Put get tattoo so on my I... head. First girl ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was in 2016, and yeah. the nationals is run um, like bi yearly. So the competition runs by yearly. So yep. in 2018, there was a girl competing. And then I was the first female judge that year. So I was judging, she was competing. Wow. And then there was supposed to be last year, but COVID. Mm. So yeah. now it's it happened COVID. at the end of August. Yeah. So because of that, but now at one point in time, so I'm chief judge now for nationals. <sighs> I had a female on my judging team, but she had to sit down because it didn't go with her roster. And then we've got a female competitor. So for a point of time, there was going to be three of us, like, in the whole competition. Yeah. Um, which I think is awesome because, like, I was the first female to ever, like, be interested in judging as well and now being mm. able to pull more girls in. Um, actually, no, I lie because one of the girls stepped down and now I've got another one stepping in because we're doing some of it virtually because of COVID. So another yeah. girl um, was able to step in. Um, so, yeah, now there is three of us in the competition, which is the most that's ever been participating in the heavy vehicle competition ever. Oh, wow. Well, congratulations. That's so good. So did you win the Nationals? I assume you had to. Did you you have to win to go to the – and how did you feel when they said you won and, like, you'd gone in a bit cocky and a bit of fun, I'm not coming second, I want to win. And then they said you won. How did you feel? Or did you feel really – like, it's so funny because I, I had that cocky attitude. Yeah, I had that cocky attitude, but then I was like, <laughs> "Whatever happens, like I like, I don't know what's gonna happen," kind of thing. But then I ended up winning, and there's actually my mentor actually recorded it. So if you YouTube Louise's party winning national heavy vehicle, the, I'm just screaming like all my like my teammates. We were just like, ah! <laughs> like you can hear it screaming and then I like cried for like three days I was so emotional oh <laughs> so I want to be like oh congratulations and I'd be like <laughs> thank you <laughs> I, was, I was a mess everyone was like oh you're that girl that won that cried for ages eh? and I'm like yes yeah yeah oh my god right (laughs) but so what fucking own it right I um uh, I'm sitting here you because we're doing this over zoom on video so you can see me I'm doing all these little like running hands and I feel so good for you and I wasn't even there so I will definitely leave a link to that video in the show notes, which will be madmumsy.com forward slash beers 78, the number 78, and all the links that we talk about will be there. But especially that, I can't wait for. <laughs> Let's go. Let's stop the interview. I need to go and see it now. <laughs> oh, so eventually you composed yourself and then found out what's the next step, yeah. I guess. So it was like it happens every year. So the cycle is like regionals one year nationals and then internationals and internationals and regionals are run in the same year um so then the year after I went 
for internationals and that was a whole process because you need to be selected to train for internationals and then you're training for internationals and then you need to be selected for the international team um so you become a skills they call it so you're a skills squad member and then when you go into internationals then you're a skilleroo (laughs) a skilleroo is is that are the boys called that as well yeah, yeah right. So it's not like a gillery, <laughs> only you're a skillery no. when they're tradies. <laughs> no, you're all you're all skilleries. We're all skilleries. So, so how yeah, many were in the team? I think there was eighteen of us that went over. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there was one from so there was no double ups of trade, so only one from every trade, except for the landscapers, because the landscapers work in a team of two. So okay. At a national, uh, regional, national, and an international level, they all work as a team of two because they do some crazy. Sh- they build like a whole garden in three days, and I'm oh, like with wow. these big rocks and stuff, and I'm like, how do you even? <laughs> yeah, how do? You? So, uh, where did you go? What country did you go to? We went to Abu Dhabi. Oh wow, really? Yeah. Wow, that's pretty full on. Crazy! It was so crazy, and the funny thing is, like. You go and you kind of like in, you just don't really even know what's happening because you're focusing on the competition. And like my mum and my partner at the time and my cousin come from Malta that I hadn't seen in like years, like they had all come to see me. But I was so focused on the competition, like everything was just like, it's kind of like, you know, where they take those shots in the movies where the person's like clear and everything's just like zooming past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it felt like. It was just like, it was so surreal. (laughs) Yeah, well, and you'd have to be because like you said, you've got all this information in your brain. In your brain hole, mm. yeah, you're right in there. But you can't <laughs> let anyone else, let any of it slip out before the competition. That's yeah. it. I put so much pressure on myself. That was kind of where, mm. like, because it was so much, like, there were so many levels and so many things you needed to meet. And the competition itself, you had so many, you had to prove that you were getting better and you had to do, like, training reports and you had to report to this person and you had to prove that you were doing this and that and, like, there was so many steps, whereas going into nationals, it's kind of like, okay, you got into nationals, you train yourself, do whatever kind of thing. Yeah, it's up to you. Um, but yeah. then, yeah, going into internationals, like, hey, you need to train eight hours a week, you need to do this, you've you got to do that. So I was working full-time, so 50, 60 hours a week, and then I was going into TAFE, training a few days a week, you know, studying on the weekend, just like, I just really, like, world skills was my life, like, just training for that competition. Wow. And... I think just not having the balance because I remember feeling like I was smarter going into nationals than going into internationals. But I was like looking back at it, I was, I think I was talking about it with Joe, which is like I was putting the words out there and I was like, wait a second. Yeah, going to internationals, I was having fun with it. But going into internationals, I was putting heaps of pressure on myself. So my brain just wasn't functioning in that good flow of playfulness kind of thing. Oh, and so, I was gonna, that- <laughs> I was gonna ask you that exact question. Um, did you go into it with the two questions? Did you go into it with the view that you wanted to win, and did you go into it with the playful, cocky attitude? So it was a bit of a mix. Like it was kind of really like both angles, kind of thing. Like I went into it, and I was kind of you know I was I'm kind of like someone who wants to make everyone feel included. And because of the way our competition set up, we had we had 16. So there were 16 of us, all from different countries. Some over half, I think, weren't English speaking. And we all had to put our phones away for the whole day. We couldn't touch our phones. We couldn't have any books. We couldn't have anything. Like everything had to go in a locker. So we would sit in this room while the stations were being reset. 
And it was just four walls. There was no TV, nothing. And I was like, well, this is like everyone was just tapping their feet and whatever. And I was like, excuse me, can we get a deck of cards or something? So we ended up like getting a deck of cards because I asked. And then we were like teaching each other how to play like card games from each other's countries and stuff. I thought that was really cool. And but it was just like everyone was nervous and then kind of so you'd go into competition and then you'd psych yourself out and for me I had I had one of my categories so one of the modules was engines and coming from Cummins I was an engine specialist so I had heaps of pressure on myself because I'm like this is what I do this is this is this is what I do (laughs) this is me I'm gonna smash this I'm gonna rock it yeah but there was so we had to do a SOS so an oil sample and you know we have the tube and you put the tube in the engine and you pull the oil out the tube was the wrong size and I was like okay okay, let's do it and then I started to really doubt myself I'm like wait do I not know how to do this do I not know how to take an oil sample I'm like yes I know how to take an oil sample but then I was starting to like really doubt I'm like why why isn't it going where it should go and I'm like it's the wrong size and I told the judge I'm like this this tube isn't the right size and he was like no it is like and then so I wasted heaps of time so I had three hours I wasted heaps of time on that and then I wasn't focused after I decided to just put it away Mm. I was so scattered and then the judge come over like at the end all a bit cocky and he's like oh look let me show you how to do it and then he went in he's like oh it is the wrong size oh yeah like smash I'd want to punch him I was like, and it was so funny because I was like sobbing. I was like, I was just all the emotion. Mm. And um, when we go over, you have um, an expert that goes with you. So it's kind of like a mentor who trains you. And then that person goes over and they judge the competition. So all the judges of the competition are people who mentored and trained the competitors. So from oh, all right. different countries. Yeah. Yeah. So he was over at a different station. And it was so funny. Like I'm sobbing uncontrollably. Like my body is shaking. And one of the other guys goes over to my... Um, my expert Millerad, and they were like, "Oh, we think your competitor's upset. We think your competitor's we think. upset. She might be a little bit." <laughs> oh, and oh. I was just like, "But the thing is that they gave me the points for that because I had made so much of an effort to talk to everyone, to get everyone included, to do that cards thing. There was even we were going around to different stations, kind of as groups." And I was with the guy from Morocco and he was supposed to get his documentation in French, but he didn't get his documentation in French. It was in English. And he was like, oh, wait, like, you know, and they were like, oh, yeah, just wait a minute. Like, we'll go and print it off. And I was like, I'm not starting until he gets his documentation. And like, so I kind of had an ally just in that being like, I'm going to wait two minutes until you get the documentation. Then we start at the same time. So then like I had his judge, like his mentor, like respected me. And like everyone knew that I was trying to keep everyone included. And they were like, when this all happened and I was like, it was the wrong size. Like I was totally thrown. I've lost all these points because I didn't do everything else. And the judge didn't listen to me and Mm. I pointed it out that it's the wrong size. Yeah. Yeah. So then they ended up giving me the point for that task, which in the end made, so in the end I ended up coming fourth overall and I tied with the French guy. But if I didn't get that point from that, Thing, I would have come fifth I think I would have come sixth the, the points are really close like I would have that point that I got from that them being like oh yeah you've explained it you know you've everyone had kind of a good view of me and they were like yeah let's give it a point rather than be like oh let's scratch it like let's give it a point um so that allowed me to tie fourth with the French guy otherwise I would have come like sixth or seventh 
so it just, just made like it was a whole yeah easy there's been a whole story at one point <laughs> I love that story but I have questions so um back to when you're in that room and you're all there were you the only girl in that room yeah so yeah. in the whole on the whole section um there was no female judges um there was a female volunteer um, and she was from Russia. So the competition the next time was going to be held in Russia. So Russia had sent heaps of volunteers over to judge, to help, like, because there's um, there's volunteers as well as the actual technical people. So she was a volunteer from Russia to learn how to run the competition in Abu Dhabi to then go and help, like, when it was in their homeland. Um, so she was there, um, but that was it. And because she was entering all the marks and all that kind of thing, she couldn't actually talk to me. And because I was so upset, she's like, I can't tell you anything, but she just gave me a hug. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad so, that you got one from, from her. That's And yeah. how, oh, I don't even know how to put this into words. The That's how we roll, right? Having women on crew is can be such a good thing because in that situation, you're thinking, right, like, and I'm like you, I, my coaches have actually said, you know what your thing is? You have to make sure everyone's included. Exactly those words. And um, you, it, coming up with an idea, let's play cars. This, who, this, this is shit all sitting here stressing and looking at four walls and we're not, you know, and that way you're all starting to get to know each other, which makes the experience so much better. And then when it comes to the time where old mate hasn't got <laughs> – his instructions in the right language, not not doing it until he's done. Like, respect, mate. Like, would a bloke do that? They'd be like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be ahead of him. So, yeah, that's it. And I think, yeah. like, so many little things from that happen. Like, so the two um, so the two other competitors that I talked to is the French guy that I tied with and the Morocco guy. So we still talk, like, just every now and then. Oh, no. Nice. And also, like, even just that reputation that I built for myself in 2019, so just before, like, COVID all started, the Chinese, like, the Chinese World Skills Team for Heavy Vehicle actually invited me to go to China to train their competitor, like, a full paid gig. Wow. Like, everything paid for, but I, I turned it down because I wanted to train the Australian competitor and, you know... Now there's COVID. So <laughs> many didn't exist then. <laughs> so many words want to blurt out my mouth, but I'm not going to say any of them. I'm really glad you're staying home to train the Australians. <laughs> but how awesome to be in asked! Like that is huge. That is huge, mate. And then even like I went to Russia as a volunteer, as an operational volunteer. Um, and that was amazing. I requested to be in the heavy vehicle section. Yeah. Um, and they almost turned me away because they were like, oh, we only need one volunteer. But they were like, okay, let's just do two, like a night shift and a day shift kind of thing. And then when I rocked up, they were like, please. And I was like, oh, everyone remembers me. So it was pretty cool. And I was supposed to only really be doing like really basic kind of running tasks. But I ended up being there as a technical person as well because they were like, and it was just so funny. Like I was kind of just like expecting to be there, just like just observing and just, you know, doing little things, making coffee, printing paperwork, all that kind of stuff. But then, like, they were asking me for their opinions on technical things and the way that it works is they've got a competition skill manager who organises everything and the judges and there's a chief judge and deputy chief judge, but the competition skill manager is the top of the pyramid. And I was pretty much become his, like, technical assistant as well. Like, I was, he was, like, discussing technical things with me, like, 
getting me to do like all these different things that, you know, someone who needed to be technical could do to just help him with everything. And it was just an amazing experience, like to be involved and respected, like on that level as a technical person. That's so fuck. I'm going to swear. That is so (laughs) fucking awesome. (laughs) How good is that? And is the first thing you checked that they had the right size (laughs) hose for the oil sample? (laughs) I didn't actually end up checking that, but (laughs) I think everyone remembered when they saw me. (laughs) Yes, Louise will lose her shit if that's wrong again. (laughs) So let's make sure it's right. And it was so funny. They... At the end of the competition, they vote, like all the judges vote on who's going to be the deputy chief and the chief judge for the next round. And, like, the judges are all the people that are, like, included and they vote for each other and whatever. And then a few of the judges was like, can't Louise just be the chief judge for the next round? And I'm like, I'm not in this. (laughs) I'm a volunteer. (laughs) I'm an operational volunteer. (laughs) But seriously, do you aspire to do that? I aspire to be the, the head guy, the competition school manager. Top, the one you were helping at the Yeah, it was funny because he was talking to me and he was like, so what, like, how do you see yourself being involved in the competition? And I was like, I see myself doing your job. And he was like, oh. <laughs> oh, my God, I love you so much right now. What nationality was he? He's Canadian. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, so they're lovely over there. Yeah, lots of mining over there, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So when's the next one then? Well, depends so, on COVID or? COVID. Mm. Um, so we're running, a, we were supposed to run Nationals 2020 in August last year, um, but now we're currently preparing. So it got postponed. It was supposed to be in Perth end of August, um, but now they're running like a COVID safe version of it where they're having a few different sites. Yeah. So people don't have to leave their state. Um, so I'm chief judge for that. So I've been prepping for it for about two years because it was supposed to be last year and it was yeah, supposed to prep right. for a year. So now it's been two years. So now I'm just coordinating three sites, um, trying to anyway. <laughs> so it, it's, yeah, it's been a bit of a challenge, but it's just been awesome. Like I've grown so much, like so many things, like leading up to like the standard competition running face-to-face, like I saw myself grow so much and learn so many different things and how to communicate with so many different people. And I caught myself kind of really thinking like that imposter syndrome come in when we went COVID safe and, you know, three sites and you know, we had to find people, we had to rewrite competitions, how's it going to be fair, blah, 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 blah. Everyone had all their opinions and information coming from everywhere. And I really started to feel myself being like, maybe I can't do this. Like mm. maybe like, and then everyone, like I ended up changing the comp to do like a Zoom um, a Zoom interview and a written assessment to make it fair so then it's not all, like, opinions and people on site. And, like, my competition skill manager was like, please, that's amazing. Like, and they were using my plan to help other skills develop their COVID-safe comps and everything. And, like, so I was having all this information, like, being, like, cool. Like, I had all these questions being thrown at me, but then people were like, no, Louise, you're doing the right thing, you're doing the right thing. But I'm like, this is just so hard so hard to coordinate three sites you know that for one for a few weeks we didn't even know what the sites were going to be we didn't know who the people were going to be and I was like I was getting all these questions I was like maybe I can't do this and I'm like wait a second maybe I'm trying to run a competition that's usually hard to run on one location in three locations (laughs) 
With COVID, <laughs> trying to do it in this new world, right? And and it's such a challenge. And how do you feel now that you you've made you're making it happen? It's falling into place, and I bet other people are picking up like your systems that you've set up. Are they using them in other states as well, or you're not helping? Yeah, them well, <laughs> in other competitions, kind of thing. Because I'm running like in heavy vehicle, I'm running like all sites. So I know they've pitched my, like, the written assessment and interview. I think restaurant service is using it um, as well. So that's as far as, like, that's all I've been told. But yeah. kind of, like, that consistency, like, everyone's, like, Louise is doing consistency really well kind of thing. Um, but even, like, now it's still just really, for me, even being in lockdown, like, regulating your emotions in lockdown is probably the hardest thing that I've ever done because, like, you don't have all your usual releases. Like, I usually, so I usually spend one week um, a month on site training face-to-face, which I haven't been able to do. I go, I do dancing, you know, family dinners and all that kind of stuff. All the stuff that usually gives you all those, those different feelings. They're not mm. there anymore. And then, so it's been really hard just like, you know, getting emails like about the competition and you're getting asked all these questions and you know, why are you doing this? You know, you should do this. Blah, blah, blah. It's been really hard like mixing all of those things together so I know some situations I've just got so frustrated and step back and I'm like why am I reacting this way like it's like right because life is very unusual at the moment (laughs) isn't it though and because we were talking about this before we hit record and you um you're in Sydney Mm -hmm. tell the listeners how long you've been in lockdown now oh it's been about six weeks yeah wow yeah here we are in central Queensland. We're all good at the moment, you know, but we had our taste of it last year when it all first hit mm. and basically the whole country was was done. But it's important. You're doing the right thing. You're trying to do the right thing. We just need other people to be included <laughs> and do the right thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation. What is the right thing? Opinions. Uh, oh, and it, and it's it, a whole other world. <laughs> it is and, and it's uh, – can be quite challenging because people have different views and outlooks on it all. And I know that out in the mines here, quite a few people I know, especially when it first hit, were being very challenged with it, going to site and everyone having to wear masks and they weren't allowed to go into the mess to eat. And on one site they're having to like get given a plate and go and sit on the lawn outside and eat under a tree before you go out and work for 13 hours and you know it's been challenging for everyone and obviously very sad because people have been dying and stuff but it's really it's the world that we're in at the moment isn't it and we've just got to do what we can do you know thank goodness for zoom we all just wish we had shares before covid hit because i've been using zoom for years (laughs) at least people know what it is now and they've probably got it on their on their computer or their phone yeah that's it yeah that's it but no, it's a crazy world at the moment. And I think that's like, especially because like I really want to talk about mental health a lot because it's not something that is spoken about too much and being comfortable with, but just even being like, just recognising that, you know, a lot of the things that you would use to relax and to get your mind off things, they're not quite, they're not there anymore. And it's just like being easy on yourself. Cause like some, I don't know if you like when you get mad and then you get mad at yourself for being mad or you're like anxious about being anxious. Yeah. Like now it's like, you're, you're upset because you know, all these things have changed and then you get upset at yourself for being upset and like, wait a second, that's not helping anything. 
So just like, you know, you get, you have your first lot of upset or angry. It's like trying to take away the second, <laughs> like being angry because you're angry. Yeah. Uh. It's like this vicious, um, what am I seeing? I'm seeing a cat chasing its tail or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So is that side of it what is leading you into what you mentioned you just touched on at the start about life coaching yeah. now do so you want to talk to us about that hmm. yeah so life coaching so pretty much I was training and I realized I wanted to help the apprentices and like my students on a deeper level like just you know okay like they, they're getting thrown all these facts at them but you know they're, they're struggling to navigate talking to their supervisors they've got issues at home they're doubting themselves that they're, they're not doubting themselves when they should be because they're too cocky like <laughs> <laughs> just all of these things like you know it's like kind of like okay how could I help these people and you know sometimes you know you're doing practical assessments and you're chatting to them about life and you know what they're worried about and you know helping them that way it's like okay I really want to be able to do this more um which then kind of I was like how am I going to do that like I started looking at HR and I was like no it's not for me <laughs> whatever your view is on HR but no, no not me not me either no. <laughs> no. it'd be like herding cats mate <laughs> mm. but it's like what other position is publicly and well known that is there to help people and I was like okay well HR is the main one that's supposed to help people um, you can see my little apostrophes I can see, I can see your hands <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 supposed so just, to <laughs> Some do, some questionable. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so then I was like, what What else is there? And I ended up jumping on a few different kind of seminars during COVID lockdown last year, so in 2020. And one of them was by coach and then it kind of like coaching. And then I'm like, but I thought like coaching was like for CEOs and for like business people. And I was like, so can I get a coach as like a normal person to like help me? Like, cause first I was like looking at getting a coach to help me decide what I needed to do next. Because I was like, I, I, I don't want to be a leader because that's going to trap me in one spot. Like I don't want to keep teaching forever because I want to do more. I don't want to go into HR. Like then people were saying, oh, you should be an engineer. And I was like, but I want to help people. I like the technical side of things, but I want to help people. But then I was like, okay, all these coaches, I'm like, who coaches the tradies? Like, and then you're like looking coaching for tradies and it's all business coaching for tradies. I was like, but what about life coaching for tradies? Like, and then I started exploring that world and being like, you know what, that's something that I can do. And it was actually something that I had been doing without really noticing it because I had yeah. become a contact point for mm. people because they knew me. And like my old apprentice master from Cummins, every time he had a female apprentice, he'd be like, go hey, give Louise a call. So I had all those contacts that I was just like mentoring them through. And I was like, cool, like I want to do this more. That's when I went into, like I started researching coaching. I got myself a coach and then I'm doing my diploma of life coaching as well to add to my skills. Cause I'm like, you know what? I've learned so much. Like I'm 25 now. Um, so I'm not, super experienced in the world of life um but I think I've done a fair bit and I think it's more just realizing my god that. you so have like <laughs> like look at that 10 years <laughs> that just went past from 15 to 25 holy shit like there's plenty of people in the world that would never do what you've done in their whole life so I I think you um taught yourself down a little bit there mate that you really you really do already have life skills yeah. That's what mad mums do things. 
Yeah, so I've got my 10 years experience, but I think one thing that drew me to the diploma of life coaching is having more medit like mechanical acronyms, tool like trading acronyms, like having more tools in my toolkit to help the people. So like I've been doing my diploma since March and I've learned so many new tools to then help people and to be able to put them in that language. So one one act like one kind of thing analogy that I really like to use is like the analogy of self-care and it like being in like an alternator on a machine. So like if your machine didn't have your alternator, your battery's going to go flat, right? So your self-care during the week is, you know, your good night's sleep and all that kind of stuff. Otherwise you're going to get a flat battery on the weekend and you're going to have to sit on charge. <laughs> like you're not going to be able to enjoy your weekend. So just like little things like that. And then people are like, oh, I get it. Like mechanical terms. And I just love like it. That, yeah. So it's been, it's been a journey, like discovering that coaching was an option for me as it's not something really that's mainstream. And then working out what it looks like for me. So mm. You know, that transition to starting your own business, having my training skills, like I do that 20 hours a week. So I train and then my other 20 hours I spend working on my coaching business, helping people, making content, um, getting in touch with people, talking to businesses about, you know, how to integrate, like how to help the women in their teams, offering any resources, speaking at graduations, doing things like this, just sharing the tools that I have with as many people as I can. And living life to the fullest and helping people on the way and trying to include as many people as you can as well. That's it. Yeah. And does it feel right? Yeah. It feels now that you know this is the right path to be on because it, it, it feels like it when you're sharing it. Yeah, it, mm. it just, like, it excites me so much. Mm. Like, I think something that was really getting me down, like, working for someone, so working for a company, it's kind of like, oh, this person works at this brand, you can't, like, kind of help them. They're, like, a competitor or whatever or, you know, this is your job, just do this. But now I'm like, cool, like, I have a person that really needs help now. I can put my work to the side and help that person and then pick it back up again the next day or that afternoon and I can shuffle things around to really make myself available for whoever needs it at the time. Yeah, and that's a good way to set it up. It's like designing your life around your passions and your um, need to help others from what you've already learnt. But also mm -hmm. it's because a lot of people struggle. I, I've, I know people personally who they're working for a company and then they're trying to, they're doing their side hustle, their side gig, building mm. their life coach or whatever it is. But they've got to be careful about what they say because their views can be seen as being said big massive mining company because you work mm. for them. And a lot of times you might have to get written permission to be able to just freaking go and be yourself, you know. Yeah, um, to do something like this, like if I was still working for a company, then I would have had to get approval to come on. And even though a lot of it works like in the emotional load, because a lot of people are working. I know I personally experienced burnout um, when I was 21, 22, because I was working 40, 50 hours a week and trying to do all the mentoring and the public speaking and all that kind of stuff on top. And a lot of the side hustle projects that people have are they're not just energy, but also emotional energy, because they're usually something they're really passionate about. 
So you use up all your energy and you start something and then you slowly kind of burn out because you're putting in so much energy. And that's one thing that I like see a lot of girls being like, I want to get more women into the trades. I'm like, cool, look after yourself first and then make sure you you know how much energy you got left over. Mm. That's really like I started looking at, you know, doing four days a week. Um, and that's why I become a RPL specialist, so recognition of prior learning, because it was in the training world that's something, well, for me, I like to find the things that no one else likes to do and then master them. So for someone like a trainer to be like, I can do RPL, they're like, yes, how much money do you want for that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. it's like name your price kind of thing. So I managed to get my hours down, but I managed to keep my income up um, and sustainable because I got really good at something and I was like cool this is how I want to balance my life I got this work that's flexible and I can work it in and I think like a lot of people can do that but it's not mainstream it's like okay design your life what do you wish you could do in 40 hours and then okay like let's work out what you can do do you want to work permanent part-time casual start your own business work three days a week and then do like really intense work that's really specialized that you can get paid for three days a week and then work on your passion project there's heaps of different ways to balance it but it's not really spoken about a lot or like doing fly in, fly out and having that like, you know, one whole week to work on a passion project and having one week on site and like still getting that income. There's, there's a few ways to work it, but I don't think people talk about it too much. And it's good that you are. It, it is really good. I have had a couple of people on and um, that's the sort of thing that ends up coming out in the conversation because they've got that passion project and they're still working or, or um, they'd love to do something but they're not. And that, that's something that I try to say to people that I help as well is think, you know, oh, how boring to be a brain-dead truckie going up and down bloody ramp. How can you? Like, well, it's not like that to start with. But anyway, that's mm. another whole podcast episode. But what I mean is start thinking about it doesn't necessarily have to be a passion project, but what is it that you really like or that you want to do or your escape hatch out of mining one day? And you can start working on it now while you're driving up and down. Put in the USB, yeah. listen to a podcast, record stuff while you're on break, be learning, be studying. You know, mm. there's so much time and uh, in, in, in what's the word? Infinitive, I don't know, like never ending. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> never never ending <laughs> options of what else you could be doing obviously while you're still staying safe and everything but you're there doing that and even if you just see it you're only there because of the money so that you can then do whatever it is you feel like you really want to do but some people just love yeah. it so much they they just stay and keep doing it yeah <laughs> that's it I had um now thinking back I had a friend when I was like 18 19 and she used to work at Macca's like as a, as a full-time worker, because she just wanted to race motocross on the weekend. So she wanted a job that was easy on her body, clear as her mind, and then she'd just, you know, work at Macca's and then go race motocross on the weekend. Yeah. And oh, like so now looking back, that was just like a, you know, a thing. Like you, you do something that, you know, might even um, one of my mentors told me, someone, someone who's written a book, I can't remember who it is, someone wrote a book, but they had a cleaning job. Because while they were cleaning, they could let their mind run wild on what their book was going to be like and what they were going to put in it. And But they were still getting a good income. But that job allowed them to let them write the book because their mind was free to do that kind of thinking. Yeah, that's that's so good. And, and it's good to 
stay open to opportunities and different thoughts just because you're a diesel fitter now or just because you're a um you work at Macca's or just because you drive a truck or you're the world's best digger driver just ask them they'll tell you right (laughs) doesn't mean that you have to be that forever and some shit can happen in life and you might they might just say sorry mm, that job no more not necessarily you that whole thing like mining downturns is such a huge thing in our industry and even COVID you know sorry you have to stay home now um so just have some other things in the back of your mind I think, and when you start figuring out what that might be or you haven't got the confidence, like, or who am I to be doing that? Like, I had imposter syndrome for a long time. That's why do you think I hid behind a cartoon character called Bam Mumsy for (laughs) two years before anyone even knew who I was except for family and the odd crew member Um, because I thought, oh, you know, the crew were going to crucify me if they think that that's me writing in that magazine with the podcast or or whatever but now I'm really proud of what she does so now it's it's just me don't like it too bad don't listen (laughs) bye (laughs) don't come to the pub and have a beer with me then (laughs) I don't care you know yeah yeah. you've got to be like yeah putting information out there yeah kind of got to be like the people who want to see it will see it the people who don't want to see it will scrub off yeah and what I a big part of that is building the belief in yourself no matter what it is. And sometimes you do need to reach out to someone and get a bit of coaching, get a bit of mentoring, get a bit of help, and not just so that you learn how to be a good tradie, um, but like you say, for all the other bits. And to get that, um, I'm trying to remember what my sister says. She's a um, leadership and cultural specialist now in mining in WA, hard hat mentor. Um, and she, she's like the translator. That's her word. She's a translator between mine management and us, boots on the ground. She doesn't see us at the bottom, but, you know, <laughs> we do. Um, but helping to connect the dots, like you us were saying with the alternator and the battery and the, you know, self-care. I love that. That's that's so good. You're talking in a way that people, oh, right, yeah, all right, because. They can you, visualise it. Like, tra- like people, yeah. blue-collar workers, I feel like they, they want to visualise it. They want to see mm, it. Because they're hands-on mm-hmm. as well, yeah. But even just, yeah, that translator between, like, management and, like, on the ground, no matter what industry, like, management and people on the ground is just, there's a big disconnect. There is, and um, that's why my sister does what she does and that's coaching and she's very well known for her uh, kick-ass facilitator like just to you never be bored going to one of her inductions or anything but just to finding a way for the messages that need to get through or the learning or the whatever it is in a way that the person or the crew will understand and then act on it you know don't just yeah a lot of people go into inductions or like they have a meeting and they're like, oh, what is this like office person going to tell us? Like how do they, they don't really know what it's like out there. Like when was the last time they worked in 40 degree heat? Like that kind of thing. And I remember having that mentality being like, what do you know? 
<laughs> like kind yeah. of thing. And you and tune it really out. Just blocks any learning. Yeah. Yeah. You totally tune out. Oh, bloody hell! What a waste of time. I would actually rather be in my truck. But um, and you can tell them when they come out and they've got those, you know, those kind of washed out blue shirts, you know, with a collar like an office shirt, and they've got the high vis visitor's vest on because they've stepped out of the office but that's one of the main things is is they stand up in the front of the pre-start meeting or the whatever meeting you know state of the nation or something and they really separate themselves from us it really is an us and them and I've had um, leaders stand in front of us and start waving their finger at us you lot this and you lot that and you're just like Fuck off, dickhead. So come and spend I'm not a day listening, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what it's like? Like in the dust and in the dirt and like even something like I, oh, this is just like with women's pants and all that kind of stuff, clothing. Well, that, that's a whole thing. But one thing people are like, okay, would you wear this like when you're working on the tools? I'm like, well, when I'm working on the tools, like I spent a lot of time, like my last mechanical job was working for a family business, not my family, but a family business. And we used to do like driveway repairs, paddock, all that kind of stuff. So when I'm thinking of work clothes, I want to know, is that going to protect me when I'm lying in the gravel? Like, that's mm. what I think. That's my first thought. But you see like all these, you know, thin, like and they're not stretchy. And I'm like, have you ever like tried to climb up a machine with something that's not stretchy? It feels like it's going to rip in your crack and everyone's going to see your undies. Like, <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> 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 yeah and it's not a whole it's not a whole gang of g- girls that are going to be looking either is it <laughs> that's right and it can be dangerous as well get caught in machinery and and st- and stuff like that like I've seen plenty of fitters and I've been on sites and it's a bit of a debate you know about hard hat not hat not to have hard hats or the bump hats or whatever um and you have to have a hard hat on, but they're climbing around in machine. First thing they do is take the hard hat off, like as you if that's put your gonna head down to look at something and, and it, then falls it falls off. off. <laughs> that's right. It ain't gonna stay on your head, mate. When you're in being a contortionist in the back of a machine, it's it's, yeah, it's just not gonna happen. And they're like, put your hard hat on. And it's like my head won't fit in the dash with my hard hat on. <laughs> do you want me to magically fix it? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that's right. And that's where the disconnect can come from leadership to what it's really like out there. And that happens on so many different levels, doesn't it? You know, like for us, even how to dig the coal or the dirt out and they've come up with a plan and we're like, in whose world was this ever going to work? Have you actually looked at this road? You know, we've got the high wall slip in here and we're single lane mining there and there's no physical way to make that happen. But, oh, the engineers have come out with it and then especially on night shift you just end up, they just, we do it our way and get it out and they're all happy. Yeah, you leave it for the night hours. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> but even, like, if there was something that dodgy, like, needed to be done, it's just like, we'll kind of leave it for the night shift people. To do. Mm. <laughs> That's right. I'll be able to get away. But we'll just come back and this, this job that was impossible is going to be done. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then there's the opposite of that. Some of the shit that they want you to do on night shift when you really do, like it is very, especially like as an operator, 
to get into that situation, drop cut here, down there, this is happening, that. You need to be able to see. This is a, and sometimes, God loves some of our supervisors, they've said, no, nah, this is a day shift job. This is bullshit. We are not doing this on night shift because someone's going to get hurt or we're going to put a machine over or, the, or it's so tight that we're going to smash all the ladders on the trucks and then the bloody fitters are going to whinge their ass off because we've killed another ladder, you know, <laughs> the steps on the truck. <laughs> oh, there's so many. So when I do RPL, they send all the, like, so they send their job cards and all the jobs that they've done and so many ladder repairs, they're just like, fix ladder. <laughs> fix, fix ladder, ladder <laughs> fix ladder again. Yes. I have had, I've done a couple of ladders in my day and I must say, um, two of them were because it was so wet, the truck was just sliding and there was, like, it was only turning in a tight little area, wasn't out of control down the ramp or anything. But where I wanted to go wasn't where the truck wanted to go. <laughs> and because we were hauling, and that's another thing that comes with the engineers, oh, just take all that out. Yeah, but it's full of water. And we got to get it out the bottom of the pit and we got to get it up the ramp and we're... The water's coming out. There's nowhere to dump the water on the way out, which sometimes they'll dig a big hole and get you to drive over there with your truck and a bit of an angle and try and get as much water out as you can. But either way, it all ends up it's going to go to shit. And you add night shift into that. It's just ladders wait, waiting to be broken. Mm-hmm. So it happens. It if you're lucky, it's just the ladder. If you're lucky, it's just yeah. the ladder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you're even luckier, no one actually gets hurt or goes over you know over a bund or something yeah because shit happens out there doesn't it we know that that's it Mm. you you hear messages coming around you know thinking of people on this site you know thinking of people on that site because someone's passed whether it be from an accident or from mental health like you once a month whatever something just you know everyone's you know look after yourself guys like this has happened on the site like Mm. It happens. And that's what brought my sister and I together when we were having all those deaths up here in Queensland over the last few years. I think we had eight mm. in 18 months or something stupid. And um, we came together as Steel Cap Sisters and um, I've shared all these stories so I won't go into it again. But we did a, a graphic and and we've got a hashtag. You know, you got to have a hashtag. But it helped. <laughs> it helped. It helped us. It helped me to get through a particular death on a site. And um, it was hashtag one minute for our lost miners, because what was happening was people. A few people were contacting me, and they got basically told or shut down at their pre-start meeting for asking anything about it. They said, "How?" What happened, we heard that someone died, at, you know, they were going out for night shift, someone died at another site, and they and they said, um, well, we don't know anything about it. We don't know anything about it at all. It'll all come out in the investigation, now get to work. And But the crew needed to hear something. What an opportunity for the leaders to say, I know it's shit, right? Someone's died. We're a mining family. We all work together. We're all away from home. What an opportunity for them to get everyone to focus on being safe and getting everyone home. Mm. And and our thing is, and let's bow our head for a minute at our pre-start for our lost miner. You Mm. know, that's the least you can do. Righto, mate. Righto, guys. Off you go. Let's have a safe one. 
but to be yeah. get to get told, well, we don't know what the fuck happened, and get to work. This person was ab- and it was a bloke. He was horrified, absolutely horrified. And then they mm. that's when they ended up having the big um, oh, what do they call it? A safety reset that the unions oh, really yeah. fought for. And then there was a whole heap of issues around that because it was meant to go for two days and it was only going for one. And some of them it was between first and second crib. And the bosses were opening the door going, you lot finished yet or what? There's supposed to be a whole, like, yeah. So That's it. There's so many different layers. To that. And one thing that I really noticed, even just within myself and with other people, if I'm not well mentally, then my safety, like I don't yep. care about my safety yep. because I'm, I'm not physically looking. I, I'm in a state of mind where I'm not caring about my life. Yeah. kind of thing and even you see it with other people like they make they refer to them as silly mistakes but you know that person's done that job a hundred times like he just come to work well they just come to work today and they physically didn't care about their life anymore mm. so they're not thinking you know oh if this e-box crushes me i'm gonna die they'll be like well it'll just take me out then save me kind of from doing yeah. that kind of thing like sometimes that it gets that bad when people are thing and they just be like, oh, safety, safety, harnesses, this, that. It's like, no, if someone cares about their life, they're going to look after their safety. If someone cares about their life, they're going to look after their mates. If they get to that point where they're not caring about their life, it, it looks different for everyone. Mm. And also I've found you can have that same care factor or lack thereof when you're really worried about something, when shit's going on at home. Or at work, you know, I can only imagine what you were going through with all of that stuff for four years and um, those challenges early on. And your mind isn't on the job and you might be doing something you've done a hundred times but or more, you know. It's part of your everyday routine but you're thinking about what's happening there and relationship issues and um, I know people who their kids have been in domestic violence and they don't even know if their kid is alive because they had a phone call at crib time and they were really scared and um, they had to go and get back in their truck and drive, you know. So you never know where people's minds are at and it's really good to for leaders uh, well, and for all of us just to have a little bit of a reminder every now and again mm. and we don't want it to be a death because – I did a graphic because that's what I do, that sort of stuff, and it was a, a hard hat and a pair of boots and a candle, and we did the Steel Cap Sisters and hashtag one minute for our lost miners, and then I had to add another hard hat, and then it ended up there's four hard hats on there within a few months, and I, did, I, haven't, I didn't put any more on. I'm like, fuck, that's enough. Um, it was just heartbreaking. You know, mm-hmm. and even just a couple of weeks ago, oh, in my last episode, I did a bit of a memorial to a good mate of ours who passed away on a mine site, old Cobber, and he um, had a heart attack at work and didn't come home. You know, so we just all got to make the make the most of life, don't we? That's it. And there's um there's a few different mental health things coming through. So there's trademark so i don't know if you've seen the funky colored high vis shirts work shirts with so, the the conversation starters yeah are they yes 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 I so have. trademark is an awesome one so the money i really love trademark because the money that they make from their shirts. so their shirts they're not cheap 
but the money from the shirts go to offering free counseling and psychology for blue collar workers. So you can, mm. they haven't, um, they've got an acronym, um, but that's the name of the thing and you can call them and you get free counseling, free mental health services. So that, that's amazing. And then there's another community called Mindset. Yes, so it's like, I've yeah, seen that. Mind, yeah, yeah. 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 So Mindset is Both another one that's just, yeah, starting conversations. And I think it's really important to have conversations in the language that people understand. Mm. Like, so trademark is for tradies in general. Mindset is focusing on minors. Like that so, language and even like, yeah, with you guys, with, you know, the hard hat sisters, like that language and to have that safe space for the community because everyone's going through something different. The fly, fly in, fly out workers, they're going through something different. Drive in, drive out. People who are working on site, people who are, you know, need to pack up and leave. People with mental health struggles, like their brain, their brain chemistry is is out. So I'm I'm on medication as well um, for mental health. But just having that thing where it's like it feels like it's so far out of your control, and you know, having the words to describe what your brain is doing. Like mm. I had no words for years to describe. Like I feel this way, and I, I don't know why. There's there's been nothing to make me upset. There's I, I just I just feel dead. I don't know what's happening kind of thing that language and to have the space like for me for coaching like having that one hour where someone is just there to listen to me and when they see that I I say something and they're like let's go into that a little bit more that having that someone be like tell me more about that like even now Mm. like we're doing it now like I'm telling you a story and you're like can we go back to that point having someone to be like wait let's let's go back to that go into more what what's that story where did that feeling come from and then if they, I don't know, or go back to a memory, like that, sometimes you need to dig that deep mm. to really get into why something's happening years later, why you're not concentrating at work, why doing one particular trip or one particular job freaks the hell out of you, why you fall to pieces, why you can't concentrate when someone's yelling at you, why you can't, you know, why you're not confident to speak over the two-way, why you're not confident to actually have a conversation with someone like, are you okay, please tell me. Like, I'm here for you. If you're not okay, tell me. Like, you know, just having that space, that language to use. Just, yeah. My heart is (laughs) melting. I love you so much. (laughs) I feel feel like we're old friends. (laughs) Um, And then I've had coaches too, like I just said before uh, or earlier, last year during COVID um, and because I – changed a lot of things in my life as well and I got a couple of coaches at the same time through this package thing and a package deal (laughs) but they (laughs) were both so different and they both focused on different things like one was more business orientated and the other one was more um bit woo woo sit down and meditate (laughs) before you start and she'd say right what do you want to have you got anything that we need to talk about and every time for six months I said no I just want to talk, let's just start because she was so good at just the things just started to come out, you know, Mm. whereas the other lady was like, why are you doing everything for free? (laughs) Enough free shit. (laughs) Yeah. That's me now. That's my journey at the moment. (laughs) Well, you're setting up that coaching business, girl. So have you got a, a, a name for it? Is there a way that we can connect with you? Yep. 
So um, I'm mainly on Instagram, uh, Louise underscore as a party underscore 1996. I've started a Facebook community called Tradeswomen Owning Their Power. Oh, I um, love so, that. Yes. I'm just like, yes. So, um, so yeah, people can join that community. Um, it's not just for tradeswomen. It's not just for tradesmen as well. Like anyone who's looking at building their self-confidence and navigating their thoughts um, can join that community. Um, and then you can just add me on Facebook, Louise is a party. Like I'm all there. I'm always all the time. Beautiful. And I will leave all the links uh, so everyone can not stalk you out. That's creepy. <laughs> Connect with your loving energy. <laughs> um, yes. And also that YouTube video. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. That's a good one. I um, use it in my presentations and it like makes me want to cry every time. <laughs> oh yeah yeah that what a great way for your so you're doing speaking gigs yeah yep, so I'm doing speaking gigs as well so um if anyone's listened to I think we've been chatting for like over an hour now but <laughs> I do speaking gigs as well so um yeah I love to come and share my story and you know even just share some of the things that I've learned for different audiences yeah because you've got, a, you've got a lot to share that is going to help so many people, Louise. Um, we might start wrapping up. What do you reckon? I love <laughs> – I have to share with my listener, with you, that I said to Louise at the start, so how much time have you got? She goes, oh, about half an hour. And I thought, fucking half an hour. I never do half an hour, really. But that's fine. We can do half an hour. And it's been an hour and a half, actually. <laughs> so that's gold. <laughs> that's the thing. Once we get rapping, and that's why I love podcasting, because they can be as long as they need to be. The, um, and just having doing things in your own control as well. Yeah. This is your project, and you, there's no time limit. Yeah. Just, just no. go with the flow. If it's short, it's short and sweet. If it's that's long, right. it's long. Like, that's it. As long as they need to be. And sometimes, like, there really is a time frame. Like, I'm doing another podcast interview in another hour. So if we were still going, I'd have to start <laughs> saying, now, three hours in, I'm loving you, but I'm going to have to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is there anything that you're super excited about right now? that you're doing in your life what's the most exciting things for you I think it's like other than lockdown my, <laughs> other than lockdown I think mm. it's watching my coaching clients grow yes. like just watching them work out so first like usually they come to me and they're just like oh I've got this like little problem and then they realize okay this little problem is actually affecting all of this and then okay let's let's go where it starts and then they find where it started and then we fix it and they're like I feel amazing. Oh. <laughs> right. That is just the best. <laughs> and how good is that for you? That is that is really rewarding and make would and I know I feel like that too when I help people. It's just makes you wanna help more people. And I'm glad that you're setting up a, lots of you know, your business, your space where you can do that in a structured way with systems and processes and all sorts of wonderful business things, I'm sure. Oh, my God. Yeah, not my well. It is my well, but not my favourite bit. So finally, in closing, what is your special place when life turns to shit? How do you personally handle tough times? Your strategies to hang in there, Louise. Your happy place. My happy place. So I think I've got – so – 
a few things that I do. So I've got dancing and motorbike riding. So when I'm dancing, so I do pole dancing. Um, when I'm doing that, nothing, it's like a different world. It's just, it, it, yeah, it's amazing. And then motorbike riding, because, you know, you're going as fast as you can and you're trying not to die, so you don't really think about anything else. Um, <laughs> so is that so- dirt bike riding? Yeah. Yes, because I grew up racing mini bikes. It's yeah. my childhood, so I'm totally yeah. feeling you there. Yes, yes. And then also just letting it out. Like I think like the power of letting your thoughts out into reality and realising that your thoughts are just sentences and a lot of the times the sentences are lies. Like just being able to be like, I just need to offload and get things out of your head. You just feel so much lighter and you're like, or even when you write something down and you're like, wait a second, why am I thinking that? That doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, Louise. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Beers with a Minor podcast and also to get to know you and to get to hear all of your stories of your fun field. <laughs> I know not always fun, but the past <laughs> 10 years so far. <laughs> and um, I look forward to seeing more and more from you and I'll be heading over to your community and be sure to join as well. Because I need more Louise in my life. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Louise. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to that episode with Louise. I really enjoyed our chat and I found a brand new friend again. I love interviewing people because we always end up mates. (laughs) I'm in her groups. She's in mine. Remember, for all the links, head to madmumsy.com forward slash beers78 for the links back to Louise and anything we discussed. For my newbies out there, be sure to head to mining.teachable.com. Lots of free resources and a couple of paid ones that if you dare to sign up, you get all sorts of interesting goodies like a Facebook group a Facebook community there's no bullying and there's no stupid questions and we do Facebook live Q&A's that's for any of my lovely wonderful five-star paying clients I'll keep this intro short as the birds are going nuts this intro this outro short I want to get this episode out for you so I hope you really enjoyed it and make sure to hit Louise up share this episode with anyone you know especially women who are thinking of getting into trades because she is your girl (laughs) and she's also one of the people who are inside my new Facebook group as an expert a mentor that you can hit up at any time thank you so much for listening and until next time stay safe be real be special and have fun for we only live once cheers oh and please share with your mates